morning we're continuing our journey through the story, which is, uh, the Bible is one continuing story of God and His people. If you'd like to follow along with this morning's reading, I'm going to be reading from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Or if you'd like to follow along in your copy of the story, it's on page 309. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him... To those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Since January, you and I have journeyed through this book, the story, and over the last however many weeks, 23, we have read stories of the Old Testament as we have looked at Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Jacob, of Joseph and Moses. We've read of stories of Esther and Ruth and Boaz. We've read stories of victory and of battles and of defeats. We've read stories of men and women who were each used by God in their own way, (coughs) excuse me, who each waited for God, and in many cases, who each acted with the direction of God. Last week, we read a portion of the Old Testament that comes from the very end of the Old Testament, the last book, in fact. The prophet Malachi, we also looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, But Malachi, being the last book in the Old Testament, was a prophet who looked ahead in the time in which the people of Israel were attempting to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and they were rebuilding the temple and Malachi was telling them that they had to look ahead. To look ahead. And if you read the prophet Malachi and if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, they happened at roughly 400 B.C., And so following that time, there's roughly a 400 year period in the scripture that is empty. 400 years from the prophet Malachi, 400 years from the the work of Ezra and Nehemiah, 400 years since the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt, since the temple had been reconsecrated, 400 years since a prophet said in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, that one who would be coming, that would cleanse the world, like a launderer's soap, or would be like the fire that a refiner uses to to refine silver. Today we pick up 
at the end of those 400 years. And we recognize that for 400 years following the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi, the people of Judah waited in Jerusalem. As the authors of the story wrote on page 307, they wrote a transitional page from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They said that those 400 years are known basically by some as the silent years in the scriptures. For we read no scripture or book from the Bible that are attributed to that time. We don't really have an accounting in terms of biblical history of what happened in that time. We know that change happened. We know that world events continued. But we don't have anything in the scripture that we read from those 400 years. But what we do know is that even if there was not scripture there, we know that God was at work. And that God chooses to work in the lives of His people. And that God was preparing the way to send the Son, His Son, Himself, Jesus, into the world as we read about in this morning's Gospel from the first chapter of John. As the Word became flesh and as God chose to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ as part of the Trinity, Judah had waited for 400 years for the birth of a king. I think it's fitting we have a castle up here today. But instead of a king, they got Jesus. For 400 years they had waited for one who was going to come and be recognized and other nations would see and there would be celebration and resumption of the Davidic kingdom and all of those things. But at further waiting, they got Jesus. Jesus who came to earth both equally divine and human. Jesus whose birth was announced by an angel to Mary. Whose birth was reaffirmed in a dream to Joseph. Jesus who was a king whose entry happened not into the grandeur of a castle but instead was likely in a cave in the mountains outside of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethlehem. A birth that was marked not by uh, by. Uh, trumpets and, and joyful celebration, but a birth that was marked by shepherds who came from fields and a birth that was recognized by Gentiles as the Magi came from faraway lands to witness that which they had seen in the star. Each year you and I read these stories. I think it's fitting that Jackie talked about in her children's time that we often don't read this story except in Advent and at Christmas. Because that's true, each year we read the different portions of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and sometimes John. As we celebrate Christmas and as we prepare for the gift that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. We read each of these Gospels, remembering that each of the Gospel writers attempted in their own way to present the facts and that which they had witnessed so that those who received it in the future would be able to read and know who Jesus was. We read each of the Gospels knowing that each of the Gospel writers had an intent of what they were trying to offer to those who would be reading their book. The Gospel of Luke is written to those that are Greek. So Luke uses a very reasoned approach to try and present the factual presentation of who Jesus was and of how Jesus came to earth. But today I want to read about John. As we read this scripture in the heat of the summer, about as far opposite from the middle of December as we can get. Well, actually this is El Paso. It could be a hundred, no. 
It probably couldn't be 100 degrees in El Paso in December, but it could easily be 80, couldn't it? But this morning we're reading the Gospel of John, the first chapter. And as we read it and as we have read it, I want to to point out to you that John writes his Gospel so that whenever you and I read it, we are pointed, our eyes are directed to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because if there's one thing that John wants us to receive as we read his gospel, it's that Jesus was not just a man, but that he was God in the flesh who came into this earth to save you and me. That's John's gospel. Which is why John begins with the first chapter of his gospel, not as a narrative of the birth story of Jesus, of the genealogy like we read in the gospel of Matthew or Luke. But John begins with theology at the beginning of his gospel. He doesn't narrate the birth of Jesus Christ. He doesn't tell about Mary or Joseph or a manger or Herod or the Magi or shepherds. See, because John opens his gospel by telling you and I about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and about how God chose to enter the world in Jesus. About how God chose to become word, the, word, the Word or Lagos or reason to become, to become flesh on this earth through the incarnation of the Son, Jesus Christ. Through the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, Jesus entering into this world, into the limitation of time and space by being born as a human being. Jesus in the incarnation who demonstrated that he was human by coming through Mary and being born a human birth. Jesus who suffered sin and who faced temptation in his life. But to John, it's all about pointing our eyes to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because John's gospel shows us that that Jesus was, was faultless in who he was and that he was the flesh, part of God who entered this world and that he has existed forever. See, John's gospel writes to show us that Jesus is not just the Christ, but indeed he is the Word made flesh. The same Word that you and I have read throughout the history of God And his people in the Old Testament. See to John Jesus is not just the son of God who's come into the world. But he's the very entry of God. The word who has existed even before the creation happened. The word who was God. Who is God. Who is not separate from God. And who was not created by God. See the doctrine of the incarnation is. It's foundational. Of what it means for you and I to be Christian. Of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus Christ. For whenever we recite the creeds like the Nicene Creed. We're reciting the very words that in 325 AD. Those that were the leaders of the church gathered all of the bishops. In a city called Nicaea. And they decided what it meant for Jesus to be the son of God theologically. What it meant in their understanding for Jesus to be a part of God, not created by God, but a part of God, yet separate, just as the Holy Spirit is. See, if you go read in your church history book, or if you want to read it, I'll let you borrow one. In 325 AD, uh, there was a man named Arius 
that Arius believed in the divinity of God and he believed so much in the divinity of God that he did not believe that God could come down in the person of Jesus and experience sin and be and and be killed on the cross. And so Arius shared a theology that was called Arianism. Very good. Um, I guess you've made it if the theology is named after you. But Arianism was was the belief that, that Jesus was created by God. And so first you had God and God created Jesus and that meant Jesus was not fully divine. And this caused great turmoil between the Eastern and the Western churches in understanding and in theology. And so in 325 they gathered to have the Council of Nicaea where they decided or where they reinforced or where they they stated that the belief that they had always shared in the Christian faith that God was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, all of the same substance, not created by one another, but they were there was going to be the theology of the Christian church and that which we proclaim. See, that's important because as we read the Gospel of John today, as John's talking about Jesus being the Word made flesh, what it does is it tells us that Jesus was part of God's plan from the beginning. And so if you look in the book of Genesis where it says that God spoke creation into existence, well then it very well could be God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, three in one, who was there at the creation. Abraham, when he was in the wilderness and he approached a priest named Melchizedek that we really don't know anything about except he recognized that there was someone who was holy and he gave him 10% of what he had. Jesus could have been the one who wrestled with Jacob there at the Jabbok River when Jacob wrestled all night and finally pinned him and with God's blessing. Jesus could be the word that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He could be the one that guided Israel as a pillar of fire and as a cloud of smoke. See, if we believe Jesus is part of the Trinity, then we believe he is there as the part of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can believe that Jesus was with Joshua when Joshua was preparing to take the city of Jericho. And the Bible says that a commander of the army of the Lord appeared before him and told him what they were supposed to do. And we can even go and look about eight weeks ago when we read about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Because the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar had the fire stoked so hot that those that were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire were killed. Yet when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the kiln, into the furnace, he saw not three men but four. And they were all standing and and one was there with them. One that came from God. See, so whenever John refers to Jesus being the Word, what he's saying is that Jesus was part of God's plan for you and me from the beginning. That Jesus was part of the plan, that Jesus is God, and that He chose to enter the limitation of time and space by becoming a human being. Because it's in the incarnation of Jesus that God exposed Himself to the humanity of us. It's in the incarnation of Jesus that we see that God was born of an ordinary woman in a less than ordinary way. It's in the incarnation of Jesus that we remember and we realize and we profess that Jesus is both human and He was both divine. And that in being both human and divine, God knows what we've been through. 
God's experienced pain like we ourselves have experienced. He's experienced the temptation of sin and the other things that you and I face. Because He's both. He's not just one, He's not the other. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Colossian church, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, or 20, Paul writes this about the incarnation and what it means to believe that Jesus Christ was of this earth. See, he says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything He may have supremacy. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The Son is the image of the invisible God. See, this life that you and I have been offered through the gift of God, through Jesus Christ, was not something on accident. But it was all part of God's plan as Jesus was the firstborn. The first one who was part of creation, who is human and divine. Through which God came to experience that which you've experienced and that which I've experienced. So that when God offers us forgiveness by the death of Jesus on the cross, He did it knowing who you are. He did it knowing what we are. And he did it out of love for each of us. So when John in his gospel says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, so that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John's saying it was part of God's plan for us. It's part of your plan. It's part of my plan. And we're allowed each and every day to approach the cross, to receive the gift of grace and life, that God offers us this day. The gift of grace that we celebrate in baptism. The gift of grace that we profess whenever we share in Holy Communion. The grace that we receive and we share with others every time we worship together. It was not an accident. And Jesus came into this earth for you and for me so that we might live because He was the Word made flesh. The Word that was there from the very beginning. And the word that brings the Old and the New Testaments together. Thanks be to God. Amen.